welcome again to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm your host, Moeed Amin. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Now, the goal for this show and all the discussions that we have is to help professionals, particularly sales professionals, advance their persuasion skills. And persuasion in sales is not just about the typical conventional sales approach. You know, this is around the system-based, personal-based approach. So we take a look at a number of things around sales that actually will enhance your sales performance. So things like your health and wellness, which is a big part of your focus. We've had people come on who are human behavior and uh, body language experts. We've had people come on on personal brand expertise. So everything about how to thrive and advance in the modern sales world. So recently, I've been thinking about, you know, this this term, this this kind of idea of success in the modern sales world and how it's radically different to how it used to be in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, actually. And one of the things that really caught my attention was this topic of extreme ownership um, and the, the need for salespeople nowadays to really take ownership of not just their goals and their actions, but ownership of themselves, right? If you want to be successful, success is is not just about the knowledge and skills you acquire, it's about the person you become. And actually, that's why I invited uh, our guest on today's show. He is a, a senior strategic account director for a, a company that provides large industrial machinery. So he's involved in um, very complex sales cycles that can often take quite a long time, but especially working with you know, different type of go-to-market strategy where he works with, uh, you know, partnerships as well as working with clients directly. And he's been in the sales game uh, and, and after sales game as well for the last 20 years. So he's really been in the trenches for quite some time. Now, what really impressed me about this person is his level of extreme ownership. You know, he takes ownership and he invests in both himself and the technology stack that he needs in order for him to be successful. And a lot of the times he pays for this out of his own money. And that's real, real extreme ownership there. Um, so I'm very pleased to uh, to speak with him today. So please help me welcome someone that I found out also studied at uh, Manchester University, which is the same university I studied at, at the same time that I did as well. So clearly he's an intelligent person. So please help me welcome Mr. Owen McGinty. Owen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Moeen. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You give me food for thought. Yeah, and and I have to say, likewise as well. You know, you really opened my eyes to a lot of things that, um, you know, we talk about in sales best practices. But but you kind of, my observation is of you is that you you really live and breathe it, even in the face of quite significant adversity, um, and you're you're never afraid to describe those adversities. Why don't we kick off? with uh, an open question here which is what does sales mean for you Owen? Sales is it's been a a lot of things for me since I started about 20 years ago originally it was I suppose it was an escape and it was it was a vehicle which took me from yeah Ireland and the UK to where I wanted to go which was Spain it's always been a mean and a means to an end you know pay the bills pay the mortgage uh, or the rent or whatever it was. Um, but recently it's become uh, a much more fulfilling profession for me. What it allows me to do, it allows me to use uh, language skills that I love using. And it also helps me to help 
prospects or customers to get what they want, putting us in a, in a win-win situation. So I, I can help people improve. To be honest, the last year or two years, I've, I've completely eliminated making money from, from my frame of thinking about sales, which ironically has boosted my sales. So when I didn't seem to care about the money I was making and I focused more on the customers and helping them to, to improve their situation and solve their problems, that's when things have really taken off. That's so interesting because I want to dive deeper into that last part that you just shared because I spoke with someone who's worth about, just the other day, I think he's about 80 million or so. Not a billionaire, but certainly a successful person. And he said in his business, you know, he focused, he doesn't focus on the money. In fact, the moment he did that was the moment that things got worse and started to decline. What he focuses on are things like, you know, how can I deliver amazing value to his clients, right? And his customers through his business. How can I make sure that I have the greatest partnerships? How do we develop the best type of products? How do we how do we get our supply chain in order so that we're delivering those products to the customers in the best possible way, in the smoothest way and profitably for us? So it seems that he looks at all the actions. And if you do those, if you do the right actions brilliantly, then the money will come. And that those are his words. Is that the same for you? Or would you describe it differently? The broad outline there is is definitely the same. I think of uh, things now, not in terms of, me being a supplier and the, the other party being the customer, I think of it as forming a partnership. Mm. Um, there has to, it has to be mutually beneficial. Otherwise, it's you know one of the parties is not going to be interested. So I'm I'm not focused on selling my product or service no matter what. I'm focused on what results the customer wants or the new partner wants, whether that be an end user or uh, an intermediary like a, a distributor who buys from me, who, who buys stock from me to, to sell on. So I, I think about what it is they want. That's that's one of the things that I remember from some sales training. We as salespeople might think we know why people bought from us, but unless we ask the question, we don't really know the answer. So I've, re I've really got into the, the habit of, of asking customers, okay, say in a year's time, what is it you want to have seen between now and in a year's time, uh, to know you made the right decision to work with me or to buy from me, and if we're we're aligned, it's all, it's all about aligning what what the customer wants and what you want. And if those if those two things align, then it's going to be a good partnership. So it's it's kind of I liken this to marriage. You you wouldn't walk into a bar and see the first person you're attracted to and propose marriage. You've got to get to know them first. So there's uh, it's not transactional. It's, it's looking at long-term partnerships and relationships and making sure that we're both uh, kind of trying to get the ball in the same goal, you know? Are you given that freedom in which to, because when you described about the partnerships and you know, going into a marriage, I'm assuming a big part of that is selecting the right people that you actually have a partnership with in the first place. I mean, you said yourself, you don't just sell to anyone just for, just for the selling sake. So are you given that freedom in which to do so, which makes it easier for you? Or did you have to prove the value of that approach? In a large part of the cases, I'm pretty much left to my own devices. So I, I, can, I can decide what criteria I apply. As long as the, the performance is there and the numbers are there, not too many questions are asked. And when, when numbers are good, then 
I think more questions tend to be asked because people higher up want to know how I'm how I'm doing what I'm doing. So instead of trying to affect change by persuading people prior to affecting the change, I can be the means by which change starts to happen. And when people notice the results, hmm. that's when that's when it maybe uh, kind of trickles upwards and, and laterally into other parts of the organization. So I'm, I'm given quite a bit of freedom. And so what you described there is basically, you know, you're not, you're not telling people or trying to persuade them, you're showing them and you're, you're, you're showing the proof of that, which is really interesting. You talked about, tell me, you, I mean, you talked about, because what you just said about helping your partners, uh, distributor partners, or even the clients achieve what they want to achieve. And, and you talked about one approach, which is, you know, asking them, and, and it's a great one, actually. And I took a note of that where you ask them, you know, in 12 months time, you know, effectively, what would success look like, right? What would the outcomes be that would make this a successful partnership? Can you tell us a bit more about that and how you do that and any other approaches or techniques that you use in order to really understand what does success look like for the buyer? What is it that they want to achieve? What are their outcomes? We've got two different types of buyer. We have end user and we have maybe channel partner. So end users, I, I, will, I will use that original question, you know, what, what do you want to have seen between here and uh, between now and this time next year uh, in order to, to know you made the right decision? That, I use that to elicit what their priorities are. And in, in some cases, that will shorten the, the conversation because if it becomes obvious that they're not, we're not going to be a good fit then I can save them time and I can save myself time. If we appear to be aligned, then I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper. I'll go into things. I, I'm selling a physical product. So I'll, uh, I'll ask them what kind of service they would expect. Um, if there's someone they'd prefer to receive the service through, would they like to stock per, spare parts themselves? You know, all, all the little details that I know of uh, through familiar, familiarity with operating this equipment i will i will make sure that i know exactly what they want and what they expect and when it comes to distributors or channel sales partners it's it's really important really really important probably more important with channel partners than it is with end users because uh, a lot of a lot of channel partners want their geographical territory they want their patch and they want to be exclusive in that patch so it's very important to pick the right one at the start, because what you can't do, I've seen it in machinery on multiple occasions. I haven't been the one that's done it, but I've seen cases where uh, a manufacturer comes in, looks for a new channel partner, channel partner says, yeah, I want to be exclusive. Uh, manufacturer says, okay, you got to buy half a million, 1 million X, you know, the mark, mark whatever quantity you want down there. And I'll give you exclusivity for a year. Then the manufacturer, abandons the uh, channel partner, expects them to sell it all on their own, maybe doesn't give them enough support. And a year later, the channel partner hasn't bought anything else from the manufacturer. Uh, perhaps a sales manager changes in the manufacturer and you have a new sales manager who wants sales. He boots the original channel partner, which is bad for the brand, bad for the channel partner who still has material in stock. And it's the whole dynamic and these relationships is different when I'm approaching it. 
because I look at it as a partnership and I find out exactly what it is they want to achieve and how they plan to achieve it. I'm an ally. I'm not the sales manager who calls up every six months or one year and says, hey, what are you going to buy from me? You know, how big is your order going to be? A lot of channel partners might be wary of of getting so close to uh, a channel manager like myself because of their previous experience with manufacturers. But I really, I ask the questions to understand how their business works and how I can, how and where I can help them. And that's what I do. I primarily offer help. I don't apply pressure. And uh, I had a case there not so, not so long ago where a sales target was set, you know, and instead of pushing this on the channel partner, I, I had a sit down with a channel partner and I said, look, this is the target that uh, has been set. I have assumed that you want to hit this target, but maybe you don't want to, maybe you can't, maybe you don't have the means to do it at the minute. So let's start at the start. Do you have the means? Do you want to? Or, you know, let's let's talk about this. And that changed a, what could have been a maybe a hostile, edgy conversation into, okay, right, let's, let's both push the ball the same direction. And how can I help you? Where do you think you need, uh, you need support from us? Uh, do you need anything extra that we wouldn't normally supply? I'm putting my time in there. I'm helping them with the sales. I'm helping them with the prospecting because I'm not interested in loading up uh, a channel partner with, with product. I, I do my very best to understand how their business works, how they can how I can help. And I do it. I roll my sleeves up and uh, I, I might be a sales manager, but that doesn't stop me from getting on the phone and doing cold calls. I, I love what you shared and that there's so many nuggets of value there that I took down. So a couple of things that really stood out for me. Uh, number one, uh, what, what initially I thought you used the, the outcome-based or, or, or uh, results-based question uh, as a way of creating closer partnership with your buyers. Actually, what you also do with it is you use it as a, an effective means of qualifying whether this person is actually going to be aligned with you, whether this is actually going to be a good relationship based upon what it is that they need. So you don't just use it as a technique to close the deal, which I hear so often, you actually use it as a, as a genuine means to understand them. And that's the theme I took from everything you just shared there, which is the genuine means to understand them in order for, for, for you to decide and in order for that information to inform you about how you continue down this partnership together. So I thought that was really, really insightful. And the other thing, the other big thing I took away from what you've just shared is most of what you talked about was about the buyer. You kept using the word understand them and, you know, what do they need? Um, the details behind using the machinery, you know, what would, what would that look like from their side? There was very little of what you said about your side and the value of your product or the value of your machinery, or, you know, you talked about the target, but you, you talked about the target in the perspective of here's the layout of what it is that we need to achieve. Now, how do we do it together? You know, what are the things on your side that would be required in order to achieve that? What do you have and what do you don't have? And how do we work together so that we both achieve this target? I thought that was incredibly insightful that, that, that you take that approach. And I'm just wondering, were you always like that? Or, did, or, or do you remember a point where you truly appreciated that approach and understanding the buyer at such level of detail and, and literally almost kind of thinking, 
and putting your putting yourself in their world and, and working from that angle was there a point in your career or life that kind of changed and made you really appreciate that approach and the importance of it there was yeah a very definite point and i'm ashamed to say i'd been in sales for about 18 years when i realized this or sales and after sales it was about two two years ago a little over two years ago i used to be you know i have an engineering background so but i like sales so i have a strange i think mix of, of personality there where i like i like to work with people but i also like to be technical and i'd always prided myself on selling technically the best equipment so i used to look at sales as persuading someone to buy my stuff v's having them buy someone else's stuff uh, so i had all i always liked to know the, the equipment inside out and say but mine has you know those at a higher RPM, uses less uh, fuel, whatever, all these technical arguments. So I was very much focused on my equipment and what I could do. That all went head over heels. Uh, it was in 2020 when I did, did some sales training. And one of the exercises was think as your customer, not about your customer. And this got me to think about the different job titles that uh, you know, that I typically sell to or that would be involved in a, in a decision to buy. And that was the first time that actually got me thinking about how different things were important to different people and how maybe I was completely wrong and hadn't got a clue previously what, what these people were thinking and how they were thinking and why they were thinking this. So that, that really took a, a major, major shift in 2020 as a result of some, some sales training and um, a book that I read by the guy who I did the sales training with. I'll share that with you in a, in a bit, but there was a major, major change. Yeah. That's when things just, things started to take off for me. They started to go a lot better and it was less stressful. You know, it, it was, it was less like sitting down and having an argument with someone mm. and more, more like having an honest conversation where you actually cared about, you know, the other party and what they got and how they got it. And there'd be times I'd refer people to the competition, whereas before I was scared to mention them or have someone mention them in a sales conversation. I have a question following on from that, but but I'll come back to that. You said you refer people to your competition and to a lot of salespeople, that, that, that's just something you don't do. You're, you're kind of bred and trained not to do that. But I've come across mm. a few nuggets of salespeople and coincidentally, every single one of them were high performers. When I dug into what they do and their results and who they were, and every single one of them high performers, and they they all openly suggest say that when the situation arises and it looks like that they can't do what the person wants to achieve, whether that's a buyer or a distributor or partner, whoever it is, that they would. And, and they believe that a competitor can genuinely do a good job for them, they would actively do so. Talk to me a, just a bit about that, just because it's such an, it's just such anathema to do so, right? And salespeople are, like I said, bred and trained not to do that. How do you go about doing that? How do you make sure that you are, because there's always this concept where if you can think hard enough, there's always something that we can do for them. And, and people will argue that there's never an instance where you should refer someone to a competitor because you're, come, you're kind of almost betraying the business. And actually, we should just say yes, and we can figure it out later on. What, what are your thoughts about that approach? There's a few things 
a few opinions or ideas that I have on that approach. One is that I'll never be able to supply the entire market. I just don't have the capability. And I don't think any supplier does you know, for my segment, my, you know, my type of machinery. You can't win every sale, even if you didn't mention the competition. And one of, one of the things I think about this, it, it takes me back to, it reminds me of a conversation I had with you or a few conversations I've had where you were involved. And there's a couple of types of person that I think we all remember. Everyone can relate to this. I think one is uh, a great teacher. I still remember great teachers from primary school, from secondary school, and uh, from from a university days. And the other type of people I think we, or person that we remember, are people who helped us when they didn't have to. This has happened to me. I've had um, I've had customers who have been talking to uh, prior to the sales training that I did in in 2020, and I was in a almost like an argumentative dynamic with them, trying to persuade them that my product is better and this is why they should buy it. And during and after this training, I went back, had other conversations with them and it, it, I didn't try and push anymore. I, I just looked for a solution that would help them. And I mentioned the competition. I said, you know, yeah, that, that brand is, is, is a good brand. I can see why you'd buy that. And I, I was being honest. I was being honest. Secretly, I thought I think I thought my brand was better, but I didn't try and push it on the customer. And I know we can't be everyone's cup of tea. Even if we could build enough machines to supply everyone who needed one, not everyone is going to like ours. Some people like different colors. Some people have it in their in their head that the best is the cheapest, or some other criteria. You know, any any time I hear someone say, "Oh, this is the best," I think yeah, the best is a very subjective opinion. It's not objective. So anytime I hear someone say that's the best, I always ask why. And some of them are, some people almost go defensive when you ask that. And I'm not, I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to pick at them. I'm just honestly interested in understanding what they think the best is. You know, not so long ago, we had a very long lead time. There was a big, a, a, a big rush on sales and we couldn't get machines fast enough. We couldn't build them fast enough. And someone came to me, they needed, uh, they needed a machine. And I said, look, Maybe you can talk to these guys and they can supply you. Customer did, didn't buy from the competition, but he called me uh, about two, three weeks ago and he's, he's come back to me. And I think that part of the reason that he's come back is because when I could help him, I helped him. I didn't have to tell him, go and talk to these guys. You know, I think if you, if you can help someone, whether it be by referring them to the competition or getting them to, to think, asking them questions, um, I keep coming back to this sales trainer that I trained with. His name keeps keeps cropping up because he's he's, a, he's influenced a lot of my thinking. And he would say that the the value that we provide, even though that sounds a bit corny, the value that you provide to customers often comes from the questions that you ask. You know, and questions can be very very powerful. I I, I just help the customer if I can, if I can help them. It's it's as simple as that. If that's by referring them to the competition, then you know, I'm the reasons that a customer is going to buy their criteria. You often won't change those. You won't change their opinions. Um, what you can do is discover what pushes them to buy, and whether your product or you'll be a better fit for them than a competitor. So you really don't have anything to lose. I don't think by referring, by by bringing uh, 
another another competitor into the mix. A lot of the time in the sales that I'm involved in, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros mm -hmm. or whatever. And standard corporate procedure is to source at least three quotes. So that's one of the first questions I'll ask them. I'll say, so who, who else are you looking at? And if they say, oh, oh no one, I'll say, okay, well, I'll send you through a couple of names and help you get your quotes. So none of my competitors, as far as I'm aware of, do that. So I've already given the customer something that no one else is giving them. And I think that also helps to build trust. I'm not afraid of the competition. I openly tell customers, uh, you know, I'm not going to be the cheapest. I'll probably be the most expensive, depending on the piece of equipment, um, so that I can help them to, to get what they want faster. If they want the cheapest, then they can rule me out. Not a problem. We both save time. It's a win-win. I love what you just said. I really love that. Because, and that one part that you said at the end, which is you're not afraid of your comp competition. And I, I think that's, you're kind of touching on the abundance mindset there, right? There's, there's plenty to go around. You're not going to be able to service everyone and neither should you, because not no. everyone's going to be right for you, which goes back to the qualifying questions you talked about before and creating that partnership. You're not there to make sales. You're there to create partnerships that with longevity that both of you profit from and enjoy in for the long term but you're not afraid of your co competition because you know where you stand you know where your values are compared with them and what i especially loved was actually you referring them to a competitor a or, or automatically helped you stand out from everyone else as you said your competitors don't do that secondly you helped your buyers by the way i've come across people that will say that helping your buyers is is not useful because you're not there to provide free consultancy you're there to, to you're there to sell but you flip that by saying actually you're there to create trust with your buyer and if you create trust then they are going to look to you for advice and the, and the more they look to you for advice guess what the more likely they're going to want to work with you in some capacity so actually you're looking at it in terms of a longevity game not just a quick sale here on there and if you do that enough you've all of a sudden built a pipeline of enough people that trust you which will therefore provide consistency that's what i took from what you shared which i thought was great and by the way that coincides with the research i've done you know we're about to hit our 428th b2b buyer that we're interviewing and we've done so across 10 different industries nine different functional areas and trust and honesty was a word that was used by every single one of them so what you shared was 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 so valuable and i really hope people like who are listening and watching to this take note of that one question i wanted to ask you which is how do you understand the buyer more? So you, you talked about from using the product, et cetera, and understanding the details of that buyer experience. You've talked about asking them questions. How else would you advise our viewers and listeners to better understand the buyers other than asking the questions? But, but I'm thinking more around understanding the buyer in the context of using the products and services. Is it a question of you know, going around and actually experiencing the product and service yourself? Is it you know, sitting with the buyers, you know, what, what methods have you used to truly understand how your products and services would be used by the buyer and therefore really kind of get into their world? The buyer could be anything from an owner operator, which is a guy with an excavator to someone who sits in an office somewhere and who only looks at numbers on a spreadsheet. And the guy who's sitting in the office, looking at the spreadsheet, he could be talking to his operators his maintenance staff, 
um, his accountant, you know, his chief financial officer. So I, I get to know and I, I try and go and see and sit with everyone who's involved with the decision or affected by the product. So if that means sitting for half an hour um, in the cab with the guy in the excavator, I'll do it. Uh, if it means talking to the guy who who prepares the machine for transport and you know the uh, this is the guy he's going to want to get between job sites quickly things there are things that are important for him which might not be so important for the guy in the office could be transport dimensions how how easily he manages to get in and out of a gate and then the guy in the office could be more concerned with um, making sure that his running costs are cut because that's what his yearly bonus depends on so it, it involves asking questions of all the people who are affected, uh, as many that you can find out about. You may There may be some people who you, you never know about, you never see, and experiencing what it is that they will see change by using the product. And there will be pros and there will be cons, and I'm not afraid of the cons. I'll openly point out the cons. I recently had an inquiry for a machine, and we're talking several hundred thousand euros or dollars, and the customer is currently doing the job already without my machinery. Previously, if we go back, wind the clock back three years, I would have been afraid to ask him the question that I did. But now I wasn't afraid. This was literally like less than a month ago. So I said, you're already doing the job without my machine. Why would you buy my machine and fork out all of this money to continue doing the same job when you're already able to do it? And his answer was, uh, I, I would rest easier in my bed at night. I was translating from Spanish. That's a clue to where the customer might be. But uh, that was his answer. And I thought, I would never have thought of that. And I think, again, by not trying to push an idea or a purchase on him, he's almost convincing himself that he wants it. I've rambled now and forgotten what the original question was. No, you haven't rambled. That, okay. that was incredibly okay. valuable. No, I was just asking, how do you understand how do you oh, yeah. take the time to understand the buyer and their perspective and their world when using your products? And you kind of shared that actually, Owen, in an incredible yeah. way, because I talk about stepping into the world of your buyers, but you actually physically do. I mean, you look at, and this comes to what you talked about earlier in our discussion, which is you were, you were taught by the sales trainer to look at the buyer as if it, as if in the buyer's world. And that didn't mean one single person that meant all the people involved in the use and purchase and application of your machinery and services. So that when you're speaking to each stakeholder or each person involved, you're talking about the things that they truly care about. The person in the office isn't going to, isn't going to have the same care or appreciation for the things for the people that actually use the machinery, but yet you're able to speak to any one of them because you've taken the time to actually understand their perspective and what's important to them and therefore talk about those things rather than what we hear a lot of salespeople do, which is they just focus on the person in the office, for example. Uh, and they talk about the office-related things to the people in the field using the machinery or vice versa. And the result is that you're just disconnected from the buyer. They just they don't understand you and you don't understand them. And then the final part you said, which was you, you literally asked a question, which actually is an incredibly powerful question, but for some reason, salespeople are scared to ask it, which is, you're already doing this without my machinery or without my service. Why would you need to now? What's, what's, what's caused you to 
consider spending this money instead of just doing what you were doing before. And I think when they said they could sleep better at night, to me, and the science backs this, by the way, when I say science, I mean the neuroscience and the biology, that is more powerful than any logical-based value proposition. It's the emotional part, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, that, that was incredibly valuable. And I'll tell you what, Owen, we could probably spend another hour just talking about that because that is so important. And I can see now why you're so successful because everything you've been talking about has been about the perspective of the buyer. And I think if more salespeople took the time to do that and to do it well, I think there'll be far more high performers than there are right now. Luckily, for those people who do that already, because you're so few and far between, you stand out like a shining beacon amongst the sea of people that are basically quite self-centered. So I thought this was incredibly valuable that you shared that. I, I'm conscious of time, and there are a couple of questions I would really like to ask you if you don't mind. Yeah, go, go ahead. One of them is, if you were to think of three books that you would recommend our viewers and listeners have to read, or, or three people that they should follow and watch closely, what would they be? First book, this is, this is one for channel managers. This could be handy for people because what I've seen is uh, a lot of people are promoted to their level of incompetence. And I don't mean to be insulting when I say that. I uh, was one of those people. I worked well in sales and I got promoted to uh, sales manager, channel manager. And I'm ashamed to say it took me probably 10 or 11 months to realize I didn't have the training necessary for this. So the book that I read was Making Sales Channels Work, and it's by Marcus Kauke and I think Dave Davies. Marcus Kauke is someone I wholeheartedly recommend that people follow. I trained with him, and uh, he it, it was like having my eyes opened, you know, very, very highly recommended guy to follow, to train with. Uh, he's also in a, well, the community that I'm, I'm in with yourself and himself, uh, Sales, a Force for Good, which is the LinkedIn group. Some very illuminating, interesting, and in-depth conversations go on there. So that's a group I would recommend people look at, even though you didn't ask about groups. Other books, Combo Prospecting by Tony Hughes is uh, pretty good. Could have been a little bit shorter, in my opinion, but uh, maybe he just wanted to really hammer the message home. Another person to follow or to look at, he might not be your cup of tea, but if you don't agree with what he's saying, I would suggest you have a long, hard look in the mirror. And that's Benjamin Dennehy, who uh, I think he goes by the name of Benjamin D on LinkedIn, and he markets himself as the world's, sorry, not the world's, <laughs> the UK's most hated sales trainer. So he's uh, very, very good on prospecting. I, I did some uh, training with him on prospecting, not on actual, you know, further down the sales process. But yeah, he's very good. Um, Eric Steves, I think, is the other guy. He's also in Sales of Force for Good, but he, he puts up some pretty short, punchy, thought-provoking uh, posts on LinkedIn. And he's very interesting to listen to when he, when he actually talks. So those are the people I would recommend people follow or check out, uh, maybe even buy from or train with. And I've, my, my reading list is very long. I have, a, I have several books, um, which I uh, 
still have to get started on. I'm always reading a couple of books at any one time, but those are the ones, those are the main ones that come to mind at the moment. That was really helpful. And I can certainly vouch for all of those names that you shared, actually. Uh, some of them won't be for everyone, but um, you know, definitely take a long, hard look at yourself if, if, if not the case, because they've delivered incredible amounts of value to so many people. So yeah, I, I would, I would certainly vouch for those, those people that you shared. Thank you for doing so. You know, how can people get in touch, learn more about you and what you do and, and possibly learn from you in terms of what made you so successful? Because we get a lot of sales professionals that come on the show and, and, and or watch the videos and listen to the podcast. And they always like to learn from people like you. How can they, how can they find you where you are and get in contact? Well, I'm on, on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link. Okay. I, okay, I have yeah. your profile. So we'll leave a link in the, uh, in the show notes so that people can uh, quickly find you. If they mention Moeed, I'm here because of Moeed. Send me a connection request. I'm happy to connect. Some some of the other maybe resources, uh, a name has just come to mind, Tom Slocum. He's a sales trainer as well. I did some some training with Tom via group or company called Rev Genius, which is mm -hmm. more focused on, I think, SaaS software as a, as a service type sales. But um, the exercises that were in his, his training program, again, thinking as your customer and several more exercises like that were very useful. If I can help someone, I'll help them. I'm in, I'm in a few, a few groups. Sales of Force for Good is one. Rev Genius is another. Um, there's another one called, which is now called Hype Cycle. Remove the vowels, if you want to spell that properly. And that's a WhatsApp group run by a guy called Justin Michael. Um, and you can find out a lot about software tools and, and different email deliverability and all these things um, that go way beyond what I probably need or use technologically, you know, in, in my sales, but uh, for other people who are, you know, living and, and working exclusively in the digital space that they could be of a lot of use to. If anyone has any questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer. Maybe it's a better idea to uh, wait for a wave of questions to come in and produce some sort of document so that can be shared. The speed of response may depend on how many questions I get asked. No, no, that that's, uh, and like I said, you know, we'll leave it a a link to your your LinkedIn in the show notes and you know especially make sure that you mention mention my name that you that you heard the show with Moeed and then that will help you identify this person where they came from and what they probably want to talk about so thank you Owen for for coming on the show I mean this was you, you, know, you shared some incredible incredibly valuable perspective and approaches to what makes you successful and and you know I know that you sell in you know, very large machinery, probably quite a conservative industry, as you said, hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros in terms of sales. But but actually, the principles you talked about can can work in any sales, in any sales cycle, because you're working with a buyer. And most of what you talked about is, you know, living and breathing your buyer and their perspective. So thank you for coming on the show and taking the time to do so. I, I personally really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'll do no. a, a little document if maybe this can help people. I won't name companies because I don't want this to be advertising, but um, I'm, I'm in an industry that typically doesn't tend to use a lot of technology for, for the sales process. Uh, CRM is probably the most advanced thing that, that companies are using. So if you happen to be in the same boat that I was in, um, maybe I can suggest some resources that would help 
uh, or I'll, I'll show the resources that I use. For example, how I, I source contact information, um, how I, I manage to make myself more effective on the phone and how I manage to be more effective with follow-up and keeping tabs on, let's call them opportunities uh, for business afterwards. So I'll draw up a document. I'll, I'll give details on what I use, how I use it, how I managed to uh, acquire it for less than most people are probably paying for it if they're using mm. it. And uh, so I'll, I'll share that with anyone who wants to request it by DM on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm really glad you mentioned that because I really wanted to ask you about that and the tech stack that you use because that's some of the things that you actually personally invest in yourself. And that was a big part of what impressed me about your extreme ownership. Um, but absolutely, yeah, I think we should do that for, for our viewers and listeners. So if they, so if anyone wants to understand how Owen does this and what he uses and how he acquires and, and the information, the technology stack and what for, then uh, do send him uh, a DM as he suggested. Mention my name so that he he will know that you've come through this uh, and then he can share that with you. So yeah, Owen, thank you very much for your generosity in doing so. appreciate that. No problem. Thanks um, for having me. No, my pleasure. And so this is Moed Amin uh, signing off. Uh, if any, if anyone watching or listening to this would like to learn more about the findings from my research with those 427 B2B buyers and what that means to your sales process, or if you're interested in the principles and the neuroscience behind how people buy and make decisions and want to apply that to make your sales process even more powerful and have even more impact, uh, then do leave a note in the comment section um, with your request. Uh, or do send me a, an email request, which I will leave a link to in the show notes. So until the next episode, thank you everyone and happy selling. Bye for now.